Lord, uh, man, <laughs> you are beautiful. And um, thank you even just for those last few moments. What a gift they were to just meditate on your beauty. And um, Father, it's hard um, because when I see your beauty, um, sometimes it reveals the depth of my ugliness in such a way that it's, um, it's easy for me to want to hide from you and hide from everyone else. And um, Lord, I just thank you that you don't leave us unbeautiful, um, but that's the beauty of who you are is that you've come uh, to redeem us and to make us partakers in this divine nature in such a way that we would reflect your beauty. And man, do we need help with that. Um, it's all in your court. <laughs> so Lord, I just pray this morning uh, f- for us that you would continue what you've already started. Um, that we would see your beauty. Uh, that we would even see the beauty that you're birthing in us and that it would become so attractive that we would lay down everything else in our lives to pick it up. Give us wisdom and revelation, uh, conviction and courage, and even joy uh, in what you're doing in our lives. We love you. In your name, amen. Uh, man, need some Kleenexes. <laughs> uh, good morning. That was beautiful. Um, we are going to be in... Colossians chapter 3, so if you have a Bible, please turn there. Uh, And specific, we're going to be in verses 8 and 9 of uh, Colossians 3. And uh, last week, Randy looked at the first half of verse 8. Am I doing that? Do I need to adjust? Give me a little guidance. A little further away? Is it integrating with the beard? (laughs) I tried to weave it into the beard so that you can't even really see it. Um, sorry. The second half of verse 8, Randy dealt last week primarily with the topic of anger, malice, and wrath. Wow, I'm really doing something. (laughs) Are we good? What do you think? (laughs) You don't know. Neither do I. It's just really sensitive. It's like me. Maybe if I wasn't crying when I came up, um, I short yeah my emotions shorted out the microphone. Uh, sorry, this has been an interesting start to the sermon. Um, we're going to be focusing not on uh, anger and wrath and malice today, but the second set of three that Paul gives in Colossians three eight, uh, which is slander, filthy language, and lying to one another. Um, exciting topic this morning. Uh, something none of us have any sense of, so this is going to be a little interesting. Uh, Now, I was thinking about um, all of you who had Kansas going to the finals. Uh, Probably can't really connect with the filthy language or the slander. I think I slandered some poor kid from Kansas the other day, (laughs) uh, not even knowing him. So let's read verses 5 through verses 10, and then we'll kind of push off into this. so this is Colossians 3.5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. 
You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all things as these, anger, rage, and malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to one another or to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Next week, uh, we're going to kind of launch off into what does this putting on of the new self really look like. So this is kind of the bookend on this whole series of sermons talking about what does it look like to put to death things that are uh, actual characteristics of who we were before we were in Christ. Uh, So this morning, we're going to spend a lot of energy (laughs) unpacking the idea of the power of our tongues the power of our words, uh, especially in the context of relationships. The impact that the words that come out of our mouths have on the relationships that exist inside this room and outside of this room. And remember that Paul's writing this letter, he's writing it to a group of people, a a church that is being, uh, in some ways, uh, taken under the guise of some false teaching, and it's having an impact on their relationships. So I want you to hear me saying that, that what we're talking about today is a deeply important topic to the context of how you do life with the people who are sitting around you um, or the people who you would call your community. So the power of words. This should already be making you uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, it made me incredibly uncomfortable preparing this sermon. Um, it would be hard to look at my own life and see anything that has caused greater pain and destruction to relationship than my words. Than words that I spoke to other people or words that were spoke to me. The encouraging thing is, and this is, we're not going to talk a ton about this today, but it is true. Words have also brought greater healing and greater life than almost anything. So my tongue... (laughs) And the use of my tongue, the use of the words that come out of my mouth is a very, very important thing. Um, I would say that we're far too casual, that um, we don't believe this functionally, that every moment that you're interacting with somebody, um, you're interacting with them on a very superficial kind of surface level, but it's never just that. That because you're a spiritual being, there is supernatural communication going on in even the most trivial conversations. I I really believe that. The people oftentimes have been hurt by things that I said in passing, and they've walked with the wound of that for weeks till we found out. Or even on the good end, I've said something flippant that has been such a great encouragement, and it's been this thing that someone has clung to for weeks. So I encourage us to think that there, there's supernatural, any time you are face-to-face with another human being, something deeply spiritual is going on. Don't believe the lie that that's not true. Psalm 64.3, I'm going to give you some of the metaphors. If you type in the word mouth, tongue, lie, deceit, Uh, in Bible Gateway, you would have like a stack about this big. Scripture has a lot to say on this topic. But I'm going to give you some of 
the metaphors and the words that Scripture uses. Uh, Psalm 64, 3, it says, this is David speaking about some of his enemies. He describes their tongues like swords and that their words are like deadly arrows. James 3, which if you ever want to read just a chunk of Scripture on this, talks about taming the tongue. He describes it as a bit that's in the horse of a mouth that makes makes the animal obey whatever direction the bit is pulled. He says, or take a ship's example. They're so large and driven by strong winds, and yet they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. This massive ship is steered by this very, very small thing. James goes on to say, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by even a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire. Proverbs 15, 4 says, The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue, it crushes the spirit. I could tell you so many stories. <laughs> I have brought healing with my words. I have brought destruction with my words. Words have incredible power. Be careful how you use your words, people. Be careful what you speak to one another. You ever, you ever trying to fish one back in? Uh, oh, I didn't mean it quite that way. You're trying to reel them back in. I was with my college girlfriend meeting her family for the first time in North Carolina, and her father was a big man. I'm not talking overweight. I'm talking like lineman, NFL lineman big, with like a firm, round belly that you could crack an egg on because it's so solid. And... Um, I don't know why I described his belly. Uh, he was big. He's scary. He had calves like, like the drumsticks that a, a Norseman would chew on. Um, so anyways, he was a big dude, and I'm not that big. And I was even smaller at that point. And um, we were at their house, and of course you're trying to impress him. And um, he talked all day while we were together about this program, the Battle of the Bulge, that was going to be on that night, and he was really excited about it. I didn't really uh, have a great history education. Y'all can see where this is heading. Um, in rural Indiana, and it consisted of putting a, a videotape in and turning off the lights, which meant I slept through most of my history classes in high school. Uh, Battle of the Bulls. So we sat down on the couch, and yes, I did. I said, um, so, like, is this, uh, is this like a weight? Like, Something to do with, like, weight thing. And literally, <laughs> he kind of turned to me and um, very gently, even though he could have just kind of squashed me like a cartoon character, uh, said, no, no, Dave, it's, it's not. Um, battle of the Bulge was actually a historical battle in, uh, I believe, World War II, and pretty, pretty pivotal battle. And uh, so, obviously, 
my eyes look like the plates I just ate dinner off of. And uh, I said to him, or he, he, he followed that up very, very quickly with, and if you're wondering, I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable with how much I weigh. There we go. Ice cream cone Dave melting into couch, never to be found again. Words have power. Even words you don't understand you're saying have power. His words had power over my life. That's, a, that's one we can laugh at. Um, I grew up with a stain on my tooth. It's not there any longer, thanks to dental advancements. Um, but it looked like the kind of stain that if you ate a brownie and you didn't realize that you had a, a significant portion of a brownie on your tooth, it was on my front tooth. And um, as a seventh grader, that's not what you want. It's just the bottom line. Uh, it was a birthmark. Thank you, Mom. Uh, <laughs> That's what they always said to me, like, oh, it's a birthmark. Like, certain people love their birthmarks. I'm like, great. I look like I've got brownies in my teeth all the time. <laughs> well, my best friend, Craig Moore, uh, decided that that was going to be his, uh, his fun with me, was as he was going to nickname my tooth. And I can't use it because I'd be using filthy language. And I lived under the weight of that nickname for most of my seventh grade year, which honestly... Uh, yeah, I'll let your imagination run wild with that. Something tooth. Um, it was bad. And I'm glad I can laugh about it now. Um, but at the time, I went home and cried myself to sleep almost every night for months. I remember my mother sitting on my bed, and she's not a very comforting woman, but she knew I was hurt. And... Um, she finally extracted from me what was going on and then called Cindy Moore and uh, had a conversation with her. But I was devastated. Um, it was a huge deal for a seventh grade boy. His words, because not even just because of the fact that he was my best friend, but his words had power. It deeply affected how I felt about myself. So I want us to start from that premise. Do you understand the power of your tongue and the power of your words? How do you wield that power? Like, do you think about that day in and day out, that, that my words have power? And I, I need to consider who wields it, who's got control of the words in my mouth. Do you wield it or does the Lord wield it? Job, after sitting with some of his friends, and they, if you've read any of Job, you know that that's an incredibly difficult situation. He says to his friends, who has helped you utter these words and whose spirit spoke from your mouth? He's beginning to kind of crack open the egg a little bit of what we're going to do this morning. Because I'm going to encourage you to consider that, that it's not just you where your words come from. They come from somewhere else. And it's an important thing where they come from. Paul in Ephesians talks about, he says, pray for me that whenever I open my, my mouth, words may be given me so that I might fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Jesus, to his own disciples, says, when you're brought before the authorities in the synagogues, don't worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. 
So there's an issue here. There's a, there's a revelation. Scripture is opening up an idea for us that literally in real time, like right now, even as I'm, I'm talking right now, that the Holy Spirit can guide me and, and have control over my tongue. And that that's something that we should seek to see become a reality in our lives as Christ followers. That my tongue would always be being wielded by the Lord and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Just saying that does obviously bring up the fact that there's something else it can be under the power of. And we're going to talk about that for a second. So point one, or header, whatever. Our words have power. Two, our words, they come from somewhere. I would encourage you that our words have an origin. <laughs> and that, that origin is this. Our words, they spring forth from the disposition of our hearts and our minds. Whatever the disposition of your heart and your mind is at any given moment, any given day, and there's obviously, if you're a new creation in Christ, there's an overarching disposition. This is who you are now. But we know, I know, day in and day out, I can forget that. I don't walk in that. I don't stay in step with the Spirit, as Galatians 5 talks about. I can pick up my old flesh disposition, and that can be the place out of which I live. So Colossians 3, 1 through 4, you should be there if your Bible's open. This, this, let's remind ourselves, this is our new disposition. It's our new self. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Your life, my life, as a new creation, is now hidden with Christ and God. This is my new disposition. This is the place out of which I have now been set free to move and groove in my relationships. Vis-a-vis -vis my words now come from that new disposition. It's possible. Words of life instead of words of destruction. Galatians 5, I just referred to, says, Since we live by the Spirit, since this is our life now, Let's stay in step with it. Let's walk it out. <laughs> wow, it's really hard to not do it. Uh, everyone under 30 got that? And if you're over 40 and you got it, yes. Good for you. I'm kidding. Uh, this new disposition, this being in Christ now, this is the grounds for which Paul is calling us to put to death our earthly nature. He's saying, because of this new disposition, what's available to you now? Because of the solidity of it. Because it's sure. Because I love you. And because I put my, my spirit in you. Now, because of that, you have what you need. Being led by my spirit to put to death this earthly nature, its desires, its practices, the old self. This is not who you are anymore. Therefore, slander, filthy language, lying to one another, those are, those are reflections. You're reflecting. You're being a characteristic of something that you no longer are. Proverbs 26.11 says, As a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. 
Paul is saying to you and I, you're no fool. Don't act the fool. You're now a son of God, a daughter of God. You are a new creation, which means you have purpose and you have meaning now. To do these things, slander, filthy language, lying to one another, for these things to be habitually present in your life is being inconsistent with your identity, with the very foundation of who you are now. This is hard to not do. I see it when I get together with my college friends. I've been out of college for a while now. Um, I don't know how many years, 97, 15, close. Uh, Or I see it when I talk to people who go back after they've been out of college and then they go back and live with their folks for a little while because they don't know what they want to do with their life and so they shack up with mom and dad. And they don't understand why it feels like I'm 15 again and my parents, my mother wants to mother me the same way she mothered me when I was 15. Um, It's so easy to become a child again when I'm in my parents' house. It's just anybody who spent any time, any extended time with your parents after you've left and come back, it's, it's difficult because I revert back to a way of behavior, to a system that was intact at that age that's no longer intact. I'm a married man. I've got children now. I make my own decisions. I pay my own taxes. So I have a mortgage. But man, when I get back there, it's amazing. I can shrink. I can revert back. It's one of the greatest illustrations I have in my mind of how I can lay down my new self, who I am in Christ, and revert back to this old self. You see it with the college guys. I saw a group of probably 45-year-old guys in a bar the other night, and they were taking pictures, and they were like, yeah. And it was like, guys, it's like 7.30 at night. <laughs> and you could tell they were all going to be like, oh, dude, I'm worn out. It's like 9 o'clock. Like, let's tell your wife and kids, said, hey, and it's good to see you for two and a half hours because that's all we can do anymore. You do. You get back together, and you, you try to stay up late, and you can't do it because you're, you just can't anymore because something's changed. It doesn't fit with the new disposition. It's not who you are anymore. And if you try to go back to it too often, uh, it'll kill you. It doesn't work. So let's see how this disposition works itself out in the movement of the verse that we're studying. Um, He talks about, and Randy talked about this last week, anger, rage, and malice, slander, filthy language from your lips, do not lie. What we see there is we see a movement from the interior thoughts and interior motives, things like anger, things like malice, things like wrath, to exterior actions. It's the carrying out of an inward posture or disposition. So what I'm asking you to consider, and I know you're just going to be like, okay, come on, man. Like every single word I say, yeah, that's really what I'm asking you to consider. Is, is that every word you use is stemming from an inward posture, an inward disposition. And what we find is, what I find is when I look at my words, when I see my own behavior, how I treat people and what I say to people, my words actually reveal the disposition of my heart. 
And they reveal whether that disposition is really, am I living in, in who I am in Christ or am I living in my old self? Is the rule of my tongue the Holy Spirit or is the rule of my tongue my flesh? If you want to read more about this, I'd encourage you to read John chapter 8 where John illustrates that our dispositions we're either led by the Lord, or he says, I mean, this is cut and dry. You're either led by the Lord, or you're led by Satan, who he calls in there the father of lies. So where do your words originate from? We do, even in this moment, because things only take moments, guys. They don't take hours. They take seconds when the Lord's in them. Will you let him reveal to you? What is the, what is the dominant disposition of my life? What is the dominant disposition of my tongue? Is it yielded to the Holy Spirit? Is it under the guidance of the Lord? Or, or does most of my words, is most of the things I speak to, to myself, to others, to the people I love, and even to my enemies, are those things... Are they flowing out of that new self or the old self? Out of this new participation in the divine nature that Paul's talking about that he's made available to us? Or my old fallen nature? And I've prayed this morning that you would connect that. Because I prayed that I would connect it. Because I, I don't want to make it that serious. Because it, it's like, uh, come on, man. Be a little more laid back. Like, can I just say things? It's not really that big of a deal. It is a big deal. Your words are big, big, big deal, and they originate from somewhere. All right, so words are powerful. They stem from a fundamental disposition of our hearts and minds. So now let's look at these three areas that Paul highlights for us. Slander, filthy language, and lying, the application of the truth that we've just talked about. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start off with this premise and saying this. Uh, that all of these things are about lies. Slander, filthy language, and actually the telling of a lie is all, in, it's all wrapped up in this idea of being lied to and then perpetrating a lie. So here's the premise. You have to believe a lie. You have to ingest it, imbibe it. You have to trust it in order to perpetrate it against someone else. That every time you slander somebody, every time you use filthy language, every time you actually lie to somebody, that the first thing that happened was is that you believed a lie. That it started with a lie that was told to you, and you actually trusted yourself to it. I trusted myself to it. And it's out of that place, then, that I was free to slander. I was free to use filthy language. I was free to deceive somebody. Now, this is inward stuff here. This is happening in real time when you're with somebody. So I'm going to try to explain to you how I, how I believe the Lord has led me to understand this for us this morning. But I want you to, we'll start in Romans 1, and I would encourage you to read Romans 1, 21 through 25. The whole passage is built around this idea that uh, the Lord... Uh, is telling us the truth and that Satan is perpetrating lies. The exchange happens. 
truth is given and a lie is given. I mean, if we went back to the garden, we could see it would be interesting to study where lies originated as well as their path throughout Scripture, but there's tons of them. (laughs) That in verse 23 of Romans 1, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images made to look like mortal man. He goes on to say they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. So that every single time that this happens, every single time that I'm doing these things, there's an exchange going on. That's what I'm trying to, trying to say, fumble to. This is there's an exchange going on. That to tell a lie, I have to exchange some truth in order to have the disposition to do that. And the Satan, we read earlier in James 8, he's the father of this. <laughs> that he literally, it says he's crouching at your door, he's constantly whispering, yelling, perpetrating lies to us in order that we would exchange those things for the truth of the gospel. It's happening constantly. It's like saying, hey, it's only a real heart spiritual conversation if I'm like sharing what I'm struggling with. It's not true. When you're doing everything you're doing day in and day out with people, supernatural things are going on. So we have to believe that that exchange is not only possible, but that it's really like a target on our back. You as a Christ follower, he is longing to invite you into that exchange. Let me give you something that looks just close enough to it to to lay down the truth and pick this thing up and begin to operate for that to become your disposition. So slander. Not a word we use a lot. I don't call people and say, you slandered me. Um... (laughs) Maybe I'll start using it. It's kind of a fun word to say. Um, I'm going to give you a definition of this. Slander is oral communication of false or malicious statements injurious or injurious, injurious to injure a person's reputation. He goes on to say to defame someone. I thought that was such an interesting way to say it. When we slander somebody, we're, are seek, we are seeking to literally defame them. We, we're seeking to deglorify them. I don't want you to think something about this person that I don't think you should. So why do we do this? This is going to be a very practical discussion here for a second. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk you through my own mind as I've prayed about why do I do this? Why do I do this? We seek or I seek to defame others in order that we may gain fame. It's in my defaming of you that I look better. So I de-glorify someone else in order to glorify myself. That's just true. I feel good making you look bad because it makes me look good. So where is the lie? Where's the lie in that? What lie have we been told in order to do that? Well, it's glory. Culturally, our earthly definition of glory is, is that that where glory lies is in being better than everyone else. You know? Until you get the Grammy or until you get some kind of massive validation by a huge cross-section of our population, then you aren't legit. So, if that's the truth, if that's my disposition, then I am really willing to do whatever I need to do to make myself look as good as possible, aren't I? Whatever it takes even if that means making someone else look horrible. I will defame you, I will de-glorify you in order to glorify myself. 
Well, so what does the gospel say to this? Because there's the lie. What's the truth? Colossians 2, we don't even have to go out of the book. Christ in you is the hope of glory. That all of our desire, which by the way, is, it's a God-given desire. The desire to be seen and known and loved. What, what we associate with glory. It's a good thing. Don't hear me saying that. It's how we go about it. That's busted. That all of our desire for glory is accomplished and fulfilled in the person of Christ. 2 Peter 1.5 talks about the fact that if you've forgotten that, you've become nearsighted and blind and forgotten that he has cleansed you from your past sins. To slander, I have to believe a lie. I have to leave staying in step with my new disposition, that my glory is actually in who I am in Christ now and that that is secure, that nothing anyone can do can add or subtract from that. I have to become nearsighted and blind and forget everything that he has done for me in order to slander someone else. Psalm 137 says, May the tongue, may my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. Stick to the roof of my mouth if I have forgotten what you have done for me. My slander happens so quickly when I've forgotten who God is and who I am. What he has done for me, I can slander like that because I'm a glory hound. I'm hungry for glory. And the world, the lie, says you can get it. And here's how. You stand on someone else's back. Filthy language. N.T. Wright says this, I thought this was a great definition. Words by which their association or their abusive intent contaminate both the speaker and the hearer. It's allowing anger, malice, and wrath to find final expression in the form of actual words. We could, I, I personally <laughs> could teach a whole sermon on this one, on filthy language. Uh, at times I've wondered, <laughs> yeah. Gossip, derogatory comments, coarse joking, lewd behavior. The list could go on. It's like when we talked about greed a few weeks ago. It's a sin with a wide scope. <laughs> what I'm saying is, is you're all guilty. I am guilty of abusing my freedom in this area of my life. Coarse joking is, is my hitch. It's the thing where I see this surface the most and it stands it stands directly in opposition to this new creation of who I am Ephesians 5 talks about the fact that we're imitators we're called to be imitators of God as dearly loved children and to live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us and he goes on to say there should be no obscenity foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place what he's saying is this this is out of context of your new disposition. This is not who you are anymore. Why do I do it? Why, why when Dan asked me this morning, tell me a joke, the only joke I had was a dirty joke. And it was a joke I got told this week and I said, I can't say it in this microphone. But should I say it at all? Why do I do it? I want to be funny. Why do I want to be funny? Because funny people are people that people like to be around. 
which is true. That's not bad. It's not bad to be funny. That's not what I'm saying. But here's where it gets dark. And people that people like to be around or want to be around are valuable people. And therefore, my value is in my ability to make people like me through my humor. And that's why I want to be funny. And I'll be funny at all costs because I need you to value me. Right? So what's the lie? My value comes from what I do. My value comes from what everyone says about me. I mistake affirmation, which is not a bad thing, for validation. When we mistake affirmation for validation, watch out. You're, you're, you're setting down the new self. Your new self is validated, validated in Christ. Your old self is the thing that says, how you affirm me validates my very existence. I learned this at an early age, five, carrying a box of trophies to my car with my mother because my brother had won every, he had won every trophy for every subject in eighth grade graduation. Won everything, like ping pong player of the year, everything, like 18 freaking trophies. I studied under a hutch of my brother's trophies my whole life. He doesn't even remember this. Of course I do. Um, Very hard. I remember looking into that box of trophies and saying, you better figure out who you are and you better figure out quick and you better get really good at it because this is what gets you loved. What are going to be your trophies? Now, I wasn't smart like he was and I wasn't nearly as athletic as he was, but I was funny. I had a personality and I knew how to use it. Something that the Lord had given me, something that's beautiful, had all of a sudden been abducted by the lie and I was off at five. I didn't realize this till 25. 20 years of who I was under the service, under the obedience to the lie. So what does the gospel say? We don't even have to go out of Colossians. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ. The gospel says your new self is you are full. Your value is constant. Whether you're funny or you're not funny, it doesn't matter. My humor, my imagination, and my tongue's expression of it, which is part of who God has made me to be. I actually love that part of me. It's radically different when I'm living out of the fullness of who I am in Christ, when I'm living in the disposition of who I am now. And lastly, don't lie to each other. And I want you to think about this because I want this to cut deep because some of you don't think you lie. Because you don't actually just tell like a bold-faced lie like, oh, I wasn't there, I was here. Like, okay, that's a pretty easy lie to see when you were actually there. But I want you to consider this, that the essence of lying is deception. That anything you and I do to deceive someone else is actually a lie. I've been known for exaggeration. It's part of my comedy routine. Uh, if you ask my wife, I even like to use it with her. Like she, I'll be, she'll hear me telling a story and she'll be like, Dave, it's like, I'll be like, okay, so it's like I jump like 40 feet. And she'll be like, sweetie, it was like 15. I'll be like, it was 60. <laughs> and I'll, just to kind of rib with her, but it's true. I mean, like I don't want to say that. Like is exaggeration, is a little embellishment for a laugh, is that a lie? 
if I leave one fact out of 10 true facts, but I leave that fact out because I want to deceive you, I want you to think something else. I leave bad parts out of good conversations just so they all sound good. I exaggerate. Essence of lying is deception. Why do we do it? Why do we deceive people? I would suggest two things, fear and pride. And I know this, we're, we're kind of beating the drum. These are, I hope you're hearing that they're coming back to the same issues. <laughs> fear. If you find out the truth, something painful is going to happen. Something I fear. Or even maybe I'm going to leave out the truth so something painful doesn't happen to you. You ever hide the truth from somebody because you don't want them to hurt? Therefore, I'm just going to deceive you. Situational ethics. Proverbs 26 speaks to this. If a man digs a pit, he will fall into it. If a man rolls a stone, it will roll back on him. It always comes back to haunt us, doesn't it? I could tell you a hundred stories of where I've got caught in lies. Just sometimes boldface, sometimes just slight deceptions. The pain of a lie is always greater than the original pain of honesty. (laughs) It's just the truth, guys. The pain of recovering from telling a lie to someone doesn't even remotely touch on the Richter scale of the pain of just being honest the first, first time. Pride. So that's fear. Pride. I deceive people because I want them to think something about me that I already think about me, which is is I'm pretty freaking amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Self-absorption. So I embellish. I leave bad parts out of good conversations, what I said earlier. I want you to believe something that's not true because I need you to believe that, to affirm me in order to validate me. It's the same thing we talked about just a second ago. So where are the lies? With fear, it's that God isn't going to ultimately take care of me, that I have to take care of me. Hear me say that. God is not going to take care of me. When I get afraid, that's really what I'm believing. He is not good. He is not for me. He's not going to take care of me. It's my job. And if you knew the truth like he does, you would leave me. I'd be all alone. The gospel says this in John, 1 John 4. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. When the love of the gospel becomes the currency of our relationships, where we derive value from, fear is destroyed in our relationships. When that becomes the place out of which I move and groove, fear loses its power. With pride, it's the same thing. My value's out there somewhere, somewhere still to be found determined by my performance, by your affirmation of my performance. Therefore, I have to be something in order ultimately to have value. That's the lie. What does the gospel say? Therefore, as God's chosen people, you are not alone. You are chosen. Holy, you are perfect in my sight because of what Christ has done. And dearly loved, unconditional love. 
Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. The opposite of slander, filthy language, and lying to one another. To lie to one another, to use filthy language, to slander is no longer our disposition. We are new creations in Christ. Paul warns, he says, don't let yourself be taken captive by hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on the traditions of this world rather than on Christ. When we slander, when we use filthy language, when we lie to one another, we are being taken captive. Captive. We are believing a lie. We are picking it up. We are ingesting it. We are trusting ourselves to it so that we can perpetrate it on someone else. So the last thing I'm going to say, and this is some very practical advice. Oh, I need to end. Hesitation. Practice hesitation. <laughs> hesitation is not something celebrated. Pull the trigger. Right? React. We live in a reactive culture. Just because you don't feel or because you feel something doesn't mean you have to respond to it. We talked about the freedom to feel last week. I would encourage you, cultivate hesitation in your life. It's an opportunity to ask, seek, and knock so that the Lord can come in and tell you what's going on with your disposition and that you can regain access to the new self. Practice hesitation. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you um, for the truth. Lord, it's hard truth sometimes to hear. Um, it's hard to ingest. And uh, the lies of Satan are, they're sticky sweet sometimes. They taste good. Um, so, Lord, I pray that you give us the ability uh, to hesitate, <laughs> to really see where... Um, we're, we, are, we are taking these lies and ingesting them. We're trusting ourselves to them and therefore forfeiting our new disposition and the power available to us in you. Um, convict us, Lord, in those hesitations um, and guide us, Lord, back into, into the grace of this new disposition that you've given us. We ask this in your name. Amen.